0: people that have encountered Jesus and that life-changing experience that is. And that's a good way to just get encouragement in the week and something to think about. And so if you're not getting those devotionals, uh, I couldn't 100% tell you how, uh, but there's someone who can. (laughs) So just start yelling or something. Communication cards over there. (laughs) Nice. All right. So encountering Jesus tends to leave a mark in our lives. Whether it's encountering him in stories like the rich young ruler uh, who had a devotional about this week. Or as someone who's in sick of need of healing or encountering him on the street corner or in the synagogue. people, People rarely walked away the same as they came. And in stories where people are coming face to face with Jesus, they typically leave in one of three ways. They leave calling him Lord, calling him to be crucified or with not understanding, they call him crazy. And in the story that we're looking at today, we're reading about a man, a story that you may be familiar with, of someone who was left on the margins by the culture and the society of his day, who encountered Jesus and became one of the prime examples we have in Scripture of what it means to be a disciple, giving us and the rest of the readers of the text throughout history a true glimpse of what it means to follow Jesus. So, Uh, We're going to have up on the screens, and if you have your Bibles, I'd like for you to turn with me to uh, Mark chapter 10. And we're going to be reading verses 46 through 52. There we go. Starting in verse 46. And they came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho, I guess Jericho is either one of the smallest towns in the first century, or one of the most boring towns in the first century, because... That's about as long as they stayed that full stop right there. Came to Jericho, and he was leaving Jericho, (laughs) so yeah. And as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind man, uh, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. Would you pray with me? Uh, Father, we just ask for your blessing uh, this morning that your presence would be here for us uh, to encourage, uh, to um, bring your word alive in our hearts today, that we uh, can become more like you and learn how to love like you love, Father. So it's in uh, Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Right at the beginning of this story, we're introduced to the main character, Bartimaeus, who was blind and, as a result, was forced into a survival situation where he would need to beg in order to receive the morsels needed to survive. A dollar here, a dollar there, the stale heel of a loaf of bread. And last week, Bjorn talked about Zacchaeus, someone who, uh, because of decisions that they had made in life, pushed themselves to the margins and was an outcast socially. But uh, Bartimus was someone who, because of the circumstances of life uh, that happened to him, pushed him to the margins. Literally in verse 46, it says that he is sitting by the roadside. It's it's a clear image that this man is is not part of society. He's He's on the ground, he's in the dirt, he's on the same level as the animals that pass by and the dirty feet. This isn't a place of honor. He's on the margins. And in my mind's eye, I see him there, sitting in the same spot that he sits in every day, with the crowd passing by, hardly noticing that he's there, going out their business. And then gradually, the din, the noise of the approaching crowd reaches his ears, and Jesus, the Galilean from Nazareth, is at the epicenter of that crowd. Bottom spends every day being overlooked. Every day being on the margins, being silenced through the negligence of those with much. But not on this day. See, on this day, he would be seen and he would be heard by everyone. They would hear him, even over the the sound of a huge crowd going through the streets. And so he makes a scene, he steps out of line he does the socially unacceptable thing, the shameful thing, to the crowd. Doesn't, doesn't Bartimus have any decency? This Jesus, you know, this could be the one that's going to overthrow Rome. This could be the Messiah. To associate with a beggar, why, why would Jesus do that? But Bartimus isn't thinking of military coups or operating with in caste systems of society. The bottomless Jesus is the one who his hope is in, the one who cares for the lowly and the down and out, and so he lets his noise ring loud and true. And if you have time uh, this week, uh, I recommend reading the stories that come before this one in Mark. So we talk a lot about context, right? Not only just knowing. Um, what words meant to the original audience, um, the context of the setting and things like that. But we also context also means looking at how one story fits in a greater p- collection of stories, and how that, what that communicates is also part of learning the context of scripture. And the, uh, uh, yeah, looking at what's being communicated on that sort of bird's eye level. So, preceding this passage in Mark, we have a few stories where someone is drawing near to encounter Jesus, just like Bartimaeus, desiring to develop some sort of relationship from him, to to receive something from him. But that's where the similarities end. Such the stories as the rich young uh, ruler, or the rich young man, asking how to achieve eternal life. The ultimate gift and possession but who is ultimately unwilling to separate himself from his worldly possessions. And then we have the sons of Zebedee, James and, and John, who are already disciples. They're asking, hey, can, can we sit at your right and left when, when you're in glory? They're asking to be first in the kingdom of heaven, not realizing that to be first in the kingdom of heaven means to be last in this age. The context goes even wider than these stories, but when you take them together, you see that Mark is teaching us something about the true heart of what it means to be a disciple, what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Just like how polarities define each other, as in cold takes a new meaning when you've experienced a lot of heat or sadness when you're used to happiness, these stories show a bad example of what discipleship is, that outlines and highlights what it looks like to be a uh, what it looks like to be a disciple, the proper way. So even though we're focusing on Bartimus today in that story, I want to read the story of the rich young ruler for us to have as a reference as that polarity, so we have a clearer picture of of how Bartimus is choosing differently. So I'm going to read uh, verse 17 through 22 of Mark chapter 10. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said, You lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor. And you will have a treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Do we have any uh, gym goers here this morning? Don't be sheepish, come on. Yeah. Yeah. All right, what about musicians? Do we have any musicians in the house? Yeah, any guitarists, acoustic guitarists? We've got a couple. Nice. Do you remember your first day playing guitar and how awkward it was? How do I hold it? How do I make my hands do this? Is that what it's like? I'm asking you, Graham. Yeah, it's right there. <laughs> Unnatural. Maybe it was a long time before you weren't embarrassed to play for other people. Or for the gym goes, do you remember your first day lifting weights? And how weird that is, how scary that feels. There's no time in life when I'm going to be on my back pushing upwards against something, but I'm here doing it in front of all these people for some reason. Unsure about technique, not having the muscle memory yet, and regretting everything. Although these experiences might have felt embarrassing or awkward at first, they are worth doing because what the return of that investment is. So, you become more healthy by going to the gym, uh, which is a great thing. If you learn acoustic guitar, you become youth group royalty, pretty much. (laughs) Yeah, I never learned acoustic guitar, so I'm projecting my insecurities. (laughs) (laughs) I couldn't get the hand thing. Now, big biceps or being suave are great, but those atrophy in the end, and they fall short of something greater, fall short of the joy that we experience of knowing Jesus. And sometimes encountering Jesus, following him, being his disciples requires that same level of discomfort at first, that same awkwardness, the same embarrassment. When Bartimaeus heard that he had the choice to meet with Jesus, he went burseycrack, which means he went nuts. He made a fool of himself. And in this, he gives an example of what it looks like to be a disciple. The first thing is that the disciple of Jesus is unashamed in their pursuit of him. Following Jesus in this lifetime has risk to it. Choosing to live by the teachings of Jesus can lead to social embarrassment the loss of friends the loss of social capital and even the fraying of family bonds and in this story bottomist's voice is clearly contrasted to the voice of the crowd the populace who's telling him to be silent and although there's a uh, in, in the case in this story i do want to note that being in our Being unashamed in our pursuit of Jesus will look like, it will look like living differently than the people that don't know him, yeah. But that is an altogether different end than just being different for the sake of being different, for the sake of being contrarian, right? In the Christian life, we will undoubtedly find ourselves in situations where if we were to do what the crowd does, listen to the voice of the crowd, we will find ourselves in sin and disobedience if we join in the gossip, if we join in the slander, if we join in the immorality and the selfishness. And in those instances, we are to choose a different course of action because of obedience to Jesus, and it has a risk to it. But if we are just being different from the crowd for the sake of being different, we may be alienating ourselves from the people that we are called to minister to, to bunker down with, to to walk alongside. Or if if we are only spending time with people that have it all together or fellow Christians, if if we refuse to go to the same places or share our dining tables and invest in the lives of people that have different worldviews and different values, then we will find that we are not acting in obedience to Jesus. We are acting in obedience to a paradigm of religion or a a culture. It is the fact that Bartimaeus is pursuing Jesus that he can be unashamed in his actions. That's the distinction. If we are pursuing other people or idols or a worldview or a paradigm, then we are as blind as the crowd. The disciple of Jesus is unashamed in their pursuit of Jesus. And so he yells, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And he yells and he yells. He's not asking for money. He's not asking for bread. He is calling for the one who can extend him true mercy. And Jesus hears his cries and stops in his tracks, call him to me. And so Barnabas does something striking. He throws off the one possession that he has true claim to in his life, which is his cloak the clothing that brings him some warmth and shelter at night and which sustains him by protecting him from the beating sun during the day. So on with nothing, with one possession, and he flings it off his shoulder to get to Jesus. And the crowd and the spectators, they create a path for him to, to guide himself down. And what a contrast, right, between Barnabas and the rich man we see here. Without a second thought, the beggar gets rid of his only possession at that opportunity, but the rich man's love of his possessions keeps him from that encounter. The first words that Barnabas says are rabbi, teacher, which calling Jesus rabbi is only further emphasizing for the readers, for us, that this was a disciple that is coming to encounter Jesus. It's a a learner, it's a follower with his request. And he asks for his sight to be restored to him. Now, hang on. Isn't this a huge ask, though? Isn't this something that, you know, it's still of this world? How is it too different than the rich young ruler having to give everything, or his request for eternal life? At first glance, it could be misunderstood. to seem that Barnum's doesn't want Jesus, but he just wants something that can that he can get from Jesus, until we take the greater nature of what mattered to Jesus, what he was about, and what his kingdom was about into picture. When we read uh, in Matthew 11, we read a story that uh, John the Baptist's disciples are asking, reporting to Jesus on John's behalf, asking him if he is the one that they've been hoping for, if he's going to be the Messiah, the one to bring the kingdom, and he replies, And he says, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. These are evidences that the promised one has come, that the kingdom of God is drawing near, with Jesus as king. So you'll know that I'm bringing the kingdom of God, you'll know that I'm Messiah when these kingdom realities are starting to invade earth, when the sick are healed, when the blind receive their sight. What Barnabas is asking for is is asking for what Jesus is all about. Showing that God the Father has given him all authority and power not only to raise the dead, but to cleanse the lepers and to heal disease and whose heart is for the people on the margins, for the least of these. Jesus came to serve, not to be served. I'm sure there were lots of people on that day who were hoping for his undivided attention, Jesus's, to rub shoulders with their hoped-for uh, political liberator who's going to overthrow Rome finally, to ride the coattails of what they think he's heading to Jerusalem to do so that maybe they'll get some power as well. But it's interesting that the one person in the story that pays attention to Jesus is the person who is ignored by everyone else. The crowd was right to hope for Jesus to bring in a new kingdom, a new rule, but were wrong by not realizing that the kingdom of Jesus isn't for the ones, isn't about uh, the hope in ourselves or the hope of power in this age who have it all together for the good career, for the Uh, the people that stand up. The kingdom is for those that know that they have a need. For the least of these. For those with the humility and the awareness to know that they too, like Bartimaeus, knows that he needs to receive mercy. That's the second thing. The disciple of Jesus is aware of their need for mercy. The definition of mercy... Is, is not getting some form of treatment or punishment that you ultimately deserve. To ask for mercy is thus a r- very humbling posture because it acknowledges that there is nothing that you can do by your own character or merit to dis, uh, that could help weigh the scales in your favor. That your situation lies in the hands of the one who's being asked to show mercy. Grace is getting something that we don't deserve or haven't earned, so that they they go hand in hand. But what is striking in in the definition of mercy is the humble posture that it conveys. It is a vulnerable posture, it is a needy posture, and it, it may feel like a posture of weakness or lacking of machismo or. Weakness, but if we are to encounter Jesus, we must acknowledge our need and take that same humble posture. All of humanity, all of us here are in need of mercy. All of us without Jesus' gift of grace are separated from God and slaved to the powers of our sin and selfishness. We have all messed up. We have all lived lives for ourselves and make gods out of our plans and our passions and our pursuits. We may come from different places and have different stories, but we all share that need for God to show us mercy so that we can experience life in him. In this sense, the rich young ruler and Bartimaeus are exactly the same. They're on the same level there. Socially in the world, it's like that but they both need mercy just as much. But where Bartimaeus shows he is aware of his need for mercy, the rich young ruler doesn't. The thing that makes the rich young ruler blind to his need for mercy and thus encountering Jesus in a powerful way is the value that he places in his treasures here on earth. Now, the kingdom of the world would testify that it is the experiences of this life that you're living right now that indicate whether or not you have been blessed. You are blessed if you're wealthy. You are blessed if you have a good family, good family values. You are blessed by God if you have good health, if your body and mind perform perform perfectly, if you have a stable career and can put 20% down, if you've met the right person, if you have the things, seen the places, blessed if you've had that plan for life and it's going well. The kingdom of the world says that the experiences of this life indicate whether you're blessed or not. And although God can give us some of these things, and not, there shouldn't be any guilt for having them, but if we think that the presence, the presence or the absence of any of those things indicate whether or not we are blessed or in favor of God, then there's a problem. We have a problem because none of those things are promised to us by God. None. So if our faith is grounded in a paradigm that says God has blessed me and loves me and I'm in his favor if I have these things and things are going to plan, then we're going headlong into an existential crisis, doubting the goodness of God, doubting our salvation the moment that one of these pieces falls out or doesn't happen. Like a Jenga. You know, and uh, this happened to me very recently. Not the Jenga thing, but the existential crisis thing. (laughs) Yeah, I wish it was the Jenga thing. <laughs> as uh, some of you know, I just recently wrapped up my time uh, working for Be Free as the pastoral resident. And, uh, you know, I've been on that trajectory for about seven ish years now. Uh, and I have ultimately come to the decision that as far as what's next for me, I want to continue using my gifts, but in service of the church. I think that God is leading me uh, to somewhat of a career switch. To what? I don't know. But uh, a switch nonetheless. And there's more to that story that I'd like to share, um, but uh, no time for that now. But in the weeks that have followed, it's only been about three, three and a half weeks uh, since the end of the time, uh, I've been pretty low. And picking up the pieces of a plan that didn't work out quite as I thought, um, having doubts about God's goodness in my life, and realizing the idol that I had made, you know, of comfort, of the false sense of security, of um, basically, you know, the moment that that peace wasn't there, uh, doubting God's goodness. And maybe something in your life right now is causing you to, to follow that same train of thought, have the similar doubts, that list of things, of, of the wealthy, of the health, of the good family, of stable career, maybe those things aren't happening, and, and you yourself are finding yourself in a similar headspace that I've been in. But it isn't our circumstances in this lifetime that make us blessed or loved by God. It isn't. It is our standing before God and our relationship with Him that makes us blessed. And we have hope, no matter what death we feel in our circumstances each day, because we know that Jesus rose from the dead. We know that whatever we're going through in this life that feels like that, that will not be our final reality. In the end, we too will rise from the grave like Jesus. The disciple of Jesus is aware of their need for mercy and this story ends with Jesus doing something powerful. He heals Bartimaeus, saying, "Go your way, uh, go your way, your faith has made you well. Bartimaeus' sight is restored, and he basically says, all right, after you, Jesus, because I'm coming. Wherever you go, I'm going. And it bookends beautifully, the story that way, where we have, at the beginning of the story, we see Bartimus, he's literally on the margins, he's on the side of the road, and at the end of the story, he's in the middle of the road, he's going along, he's following, that contrast. He's part of the procession, arm in arm, let's go. So put yourself in Bartimus' shoes, though. Put yourself in the shoes of of the lame man that was healed and could walk again, or or the sick person that was healed. Be honest here, if you were healed like these people are in a powerful way, what would be the first thing you would do? I mean, selfishly, if I was bottomless, I'd I'd, you know, and I, I could see, I'd track down the people that from the voices I recognize be like, what the heck man, why didn't you help me out? Or if I, uh, or I'd want to go see family and, 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 and see the beauty of that. Or if I was able to walk again or was healed of an illness that riddled me like crippled, I'd want to, to start building something for myself, you know? Build a successful life, make some plans, make some moves. Things that I couldn't do before. But Bottomus, he doesn't turn in the other direction to a household, to a person to get revenge now that he has more power. He doesn't focus on himself. Once he receives mercy from Jesus, he focuses on the one that extended it to him. Barnabas doesn't go his own way. That's the third thing that disciple of Jesus does. They go where Jesus goes. All of us who have come to believe that Jesus is Lord, have had an encounter with him. And su- subsequently, all of us, like Bartimaeus, have been shown mercy by Jesus. How long is, has it been since that first encounter you had with Jesus? It could be a week or a couple of years. Maybe it's a lifetime and it's kind of foggy, the first thing. The Christian life isn't uh, just about one encounter with Jesus, one display of mercy. It's the longer we live in relationship with him, the more we encounter him, the more we truly realize the depths of mercy that we have received. Until we leave this life, though, we're going to be continually tempted to go our own way. Even after being shown great acts of mercy to focus on our own concerns and what we want to build. To take things that are good in their right and proper place and make them idols in our lives. It may have been a week or a year or a lifetime since you encountered Jesus for the first time, but are you still following him? Are you still going where he's going? Are you still encountering him? Or have other concerns that are good in their place taken priority? In one degree or another, we all do this every day. We have, distra- we have strayed from the way of discipleship. And the good news is, is that the way back is the same way that we first encountered him. To humble ourselves, to confess that we need him and ask for mercy. There's no shame in that. There's no shame in confession, just because it's been time doesn't mean you have to add some pizzazz to the prayer. There's no shame in acknowledging that you have strayed or that you need him. The disciple of Jesus goes where he goes and encountering him for the first time or during a lifetime may not look like a complete restructuring of life of your relationships or your interests, but it will require a restructuring of how you do them. And maybe that's what needs to change. No longer for yourself or for your own glory, but in all things, with all relationships, with all careers, doing them for God's glory. So where is Jesus going in your life? Where is he moving at your workplace? Where is he leading with your friends in your marriage? Where is he working right now in your heart? And the question is, will you follow? Will you go where he goes? Would you pray with me? Father, uh, we just praise you this morning. for the mercy that you have extended to us through Jesus, and, and Lord, we ask uh, and repent of the ways that we, even after receiving mercy, Lord, we have um, put other things before you, and, and Father, I pray that you would create avenues that are clear to us um, for a way back to you, Lord, um, and that you would meet us in a powerful way and us, Lord, once again. It's in uh, Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Would you please rise to